Good morning, and welcome again to St. Paul's, especially for those joining us online. Let's pray. Open our ears, O Lord, to hear your word and to know your voice. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills, that we may serve you today and always. Amen. We're nearing the end of our teaching series, This is Jesus, in which we've been taking a good look at who Jesus is through the lens of the first century gospel writer Mark. Today's passage is found in Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible, or you can look it up in a pew Bible, it's on page 49 to 50 towards the end. Our story today is a study in contrasts. On the one hand, we have Jesus' condemnation of the scribes, the teachers of the law, some of the most respected people in society. On the other hand, we have Jesus pointing to the actions of a poor widow, one of the most vulnerable people in society. On the one hand, we have hypocrisy and greed. On the other, hidden faithfulness and extreme generosity. On the one hand, corruption. On the other hand, pureness of heart. And together, these contrasts paint for us a picture of what it can mean to love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. To begin with, the scribes. We hear a fair bit about this group of people in the Gospel of Mark. They are the intelligentsia, the learned ones, the ones who know the law of Moses backwards and forwards. They're the ones who interpret that law to the people and help show them the way to God. And in return, they are revered and respected. Only, as Jesus points out in our passage today, they've strayed off the path. The respect that is shown to them has become more important than the truth of their calling. The honor of being seen in the best positions has begun to matter a little too much. And they've begun performing their rituals, not for God, but for anybody who's watching. What's more, they're using their power and influence to make themselves richer at the cost of the poorest and most marginalized of society. Their practices deliberately oppress the poor. They devour widows' houses, in Jesus' striking phrase. In short, they've become hypocrites, actors, playing out a role of loving God that has nothing to do with reality. But none of this is obvious to the crowd that Jesus is teaching that day. These people look and sound deserving of respect. But Jesus sees deeper. This critique doesn't apply to all of them, of course. A few verses before our passage this morning, one brave scribe goes up to Jesus, and he asks him, what is the most important of all the laws and commandments? Jesus' answer is one that may be familiar as we say it often in church. The first is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
there is no commandment greater than these. To love God with every fiber of your being and to love your neighbor as your very self. These sum up the entire law that the scribes professed to know intimately. And yet most of them missed both points, loving God or loving neighbor. And what about the widow? It's a striking scene. Jesus is now outside the temple in the court, watching people put money into the treasury boxes. Wealthy, wealthy people are coming and putting in their contributions. And because they couldn't write checks or use e-transfer or even have large bills, I imagine them pouring in coins, allowing the sound of jingling to echo through the courtyard. And then after them, this widow comes and she carefully places two tiny coins on top of the mound of coins, immediately to be lost in the pile. But Jesus sees it, and he knows it isn't just two coins for her. It's everything. It's everything she has to live on, or as Mark literally puts it, her whole life. The coins that might have kept her fed for another day or two. And she doesn't put just one of them in. Note this. She could have put in one, 50% of all of her possessions, and it would have been an enormous contribution. And instead, she puts in both. 100%. Two tiny coins and so much more. There's been an interesting shift in the way that this story is understood over the course of centuries. Up until very recently, Bible scholars, everyone from St. Augustine to John Calvin and beyond, have seen this woman as laudable, a beautiful example of what it means to love God, to put God at the center of your very life, and love God the way the commandment asks us to with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Most contemporary scholars, however, have seen her as a victim. They've drawn the link between Jesus' condemnation of the scribes that devour widows' houses a couple, passage, or a couple verses before and this widow who has nothing to her name. They suggest that this passage is instead a warning against using religious language to call for sacrifice from those who can't afford it unfairly guilting people into giving more than they can afford. Well, there's certainly truth within that interpretation. The temple system that the widow was offering her life to was supposed to be protecting her, and it wasn't. Widows, orphans, foreigners, and strangers, all of these are very dear to the heart of God. Over and over, through the law and the prophets, God tells his people to take care of them, to love them, to protect them. His heart is constantly with those in need. And the law of Moses was given to teach both a love for God and a love for neighbor, especially the poor and the marginalized. But the very people who were the keepers of this law, the ones meant to teach and model this love, had instead turned it to their own profit and gain. The very temple system meant to provide for the widows and orphans, had contributed to their poverty. 
That much is clear. But does this mean we write this woman off solely as a victim? I'm wary of that interpretation because it transforms this woman from being someone whose love for God is stunningly generous to one who is merely a cautionary tale of oppression. Her agency is removed and the generosity of her action undone. So which is she, victim or victor? A shining example of generosity or a poor casualty of the corrupt temple system? Well, I think it's okay to stay in that tension, to be awestruck by her extreme generosity in the midst of her poverty, to be honor, to honor and be inspired by what she's done and by her love for God, which is humbling. And at the same time, to hold accountable the system that was contributing to her poverty, to ensure that we take this lesson to heart and are caring for those in need in our midst, not increasing their burdens through our own demands, not using religion to increase burden. But where does that leave us this morning? What, pass what does this passage have to offer us besides a warning and an example? We are a diverse group of people who have gathered here this morning, both in person and online. We come from all walks of life. Some of us have more money than we literally know what to do with. I'm not one of those. Some of us live month to month and struggle to make the rent. Some of us have great power, and some of us feel completely bowed down under the weight of corrupt systems holding us in our place. And we're in different places spiritually, too. Some of us have been Christians our whole entire lives, and this passage is as familiar to us as any of the others. And some of us are still exploring what it might look like to be a Christian, and are not even sure what it means to love God, and that is perfectly okay. Because regardless of our differences, I think there are two things this passage has to offer us this morning. And the first is this. Whatever you have to hold out to Jesus this morning, it will be accepted and honored, and it will be used for God's glory. And that may not look like we assume. One of my closest friends is a community worker for the Dale Ministries in Parkdale. Their community is comprised of some of the most marginalized and financially poorest people in Toronto. And yet, at their Sunday worship service, the time of offering is one of the most beautiful. Here's how it's introduced each week. I took notes, as my friend told me. Here at the Dale, we believe that everyone in the community has good gifts to give, and that every person's gift is valuable. It's important to know that we have all gifts to give, especially if we're having a hard time feeling like we do. If your gift is something that can fit into an offering plate or an offering box, great. But maybe it's instead the gift of your time, doing dishes, offering a word of encouragement. Whatever it is, your gift is important and will be used for God's glory in Parkdale. If you want to offer your gift in prayer, do that. And God delights in our gifts, whatever they are. 
This wonderful invitation has been responded to by amazing offers of generosity. Sometimes the offering plate holds money, a dollar, 10, more. Sometimes it holds other things, a TTC token, a cigarette, which would be a sacred gift for an indigenous person, a pack of pencil crayons, or a note folded up saying that the person plans to do dishes at the community meal on Monday. All of these gifts are precious and appreciated and used by God for his glory and to bless the giver. Or maybe what you have to offer this morning might be completely different. It may be your honest questions and doubts about God or yourself. It may be your love for someone or something that is coming between you and God. It may be your fear. It may even be your pain or your anger. Whatever it is, you can be sure that it is not lost in the heap of other people's coins or prayers or offerings. It is seen, it is valued, and it is held safe in the love of God. And the second thing that I think this story holds for us this morning is this. The gospel writer Mark was a masterful storyteller. And he ordered his accounts and he used his words very specifically. Immediately after our passage that we read this morning comes Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple, which Tyler preached on last week. The destruction of this system that is so broken. And Mark's particular wording and the way he carefully places this little tale of the widow's sacrifice between the corruption of the scribes and the destruction of the temple, it's more than just an example of generosity or a cautionary tale. It's a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of what's to come. Just as this woman gave her whole life for something that was corrupt and condemned, so too, Jesus, a few days later, would give his whole life for a humanity that was corrupt and condemned. He would offer up himself, pouring out his life, to give us a new way to meet with God, not through the old broken system of temple sacrifices and offerings, but through himself. And in place of the old temple, Christ is raising up a new temple, one formed not of buildings, but of people, people who love God, people who have the Holy Spirit living in us, who are learning together how to love God and love our neighbor, to care for the poor and the widow and the orphan, to work for justice for the oppressed, to lift our voices for those who are voiceless, and to give love to those who are lonely. We are invited to offer up ourselves, souls and bodies, for the love of a God who sat in a temple courtyard and watched a widow offer up her whole life in two small coins and then turned around and offered his whole life on the cross. This is amazing love. This is Jesus. Amen. <laughs>